0: We're recording this on a Friday. Well, oh, well I should probably okay. Well, since, since we hit record, welcome to the Psychology of Financial Funding podcast.
1: I'm Dr. Charles Chafin, and with me is uh, Dr. Brad Klontz. Hey, before we get into this, Charles, I um I, I know we're recording, but I meant to ask you, like, what are you doing this weekend? What do you got going?
0: Because all of our listeners want to know. Well, I've yeah. got you know here in New York. There's a couple of different things. I've got a um, going to. I've going to a little banquet tomorrow night. I've got drink plans tonight. I'm going to this going to this restaurant on the Upper West Side, uh, which I've been wanting to go to. It's Italian food. They're supposed to have the best chicken
1: parm, so I'm going Oof. there. And In then uh, gonna do a long yeah. run on uh, on uh, Sunday. Gosh, I mean, I look. I love my family. I love my kids, of course. But I, if if I was to be honest with you, I kind of wish I had your weekend planned versus mine. <laughs> um, it's less of a fear. It's more. I'm just. I'm missing out, Charles. <laughs> are your do your do your wife and kids? Are they are they downloading the podcast? I mean, are well, they. Well, hopefully they're not listening to it. Um, <laughs> I did. I did preface by saying I'm very happy. Very happy. That is true. You did. Hey, say by that. the way, Charles, I I have kids. I mean, you, you you're missing out on some of that. I don't feel FOMO with that, but that's probably a whole other topic. So, so today that for another day, (laughs) that's right. So when we talk about the research on um, parenting and children and happiness versus people without children, that we'll save that one for another day. That's probably a good idea. So
0: we're talking about FOMO today, as you could tell everybody and, and, you know, FOMO has, it's amazing how fast FOMO has kind of come into the lexicon because, you know, you think about it, even of like. Probably ten or twelve years ago, it was kind of like a marketing term, right? You know, people talk about how well, FOMO tried to get people to act and whatnot. And you know, social media has really changed all of that. So, you know, it's some of the work that I do relative to to numb. Shameless plug of another book, but nevertheless, we talk about this idea of this relationship between social media and FOMO. That you know, you could be sitting. We you to use the example of the weekend, Brad. You know, one of the best examples is. You're sitting, you're sitting on the couch with your spouse or partner, you're binge watching whatever show you're binge watching. Or maybe you're binge listening to the Psychology of Financial Planning podcast. And you you decide with your significant other, we need to come together and listen to Brad and Charles. And, and you got your your Haggadah's ice cream, which would be cookies and cream for me. You're in your sweatpants, and you're it's a cold, cold day. You're just you're in your happy place, right? Everything all is well with the world and then suddenly you go on to social media and you go on to social media and you see that like three or four other people is in like Cancun one of them is here or there or they're even saying that they are... people post pictures of themselves at bars I don't understand why people do that I mean I drink enough people already know what I do I don't need to give them more evidence but I digress so suddenly, because you see all these things that are curated, right? You suddenly now that whole idea of being happy in your spot on a Friday night suddenly all of that is now changed. Now, right? And now the whole right. dynamic is yeah, changed. Yep.
1: Yeah, that social comparison. You know, we we talk about this in the early chapters of our psychology of financial planning book, just how we're all wired, and and a lot of um, a lot of a fun way to make sense of our relationship with money and some of our hangups with money is thinking about. context in which we developed as a species, which, you know, 99% of our time on earth has been in small hunter gatherer tribes where being, we have to be really tuned in to what everyone else is doing around us. And it's almost like this fear of missing out, um, was essential to our survival. Like, you know, fear of missing out on, on the next food source, fear of missing out on the fact that everyone just fled from a predator, Um, And so I feel like we're just wired to, to be engaging in the social comparison all the time. And then of course on social media, I I saw this a lot during COVID and, and um, where people would see um, a picture of somebody on Instagram and they'd be sipping some coffee. This was probably you and they'd be reading a book on the couch, you know, and taking a picture of that. And um, as someone with young children, I would see those pictures and I would be like, oh my gosh, what what I would kill for like an hour <laughs> to, to read a book and sip some coffee on the couch. And then, and I also heard that some people felt very lonely during COVID. And so they would see pictures of families playing games, you know, around the fireplace. And then, oh, I just wish I had somebody to be with during COVID. Um, and much of this too, is, is we're just seeing like these snapshots of these perfect moments. Like people aren't posting their struggles on social media. It's all these idyllic pictures that they wanna put out into the world about how great their life is. But it does, it creates that sense of lack and deprivation and fear of missing out. Right, that's exactly right. And that's that's the other point of all of
0: this, right? So you've got this dynamic of, of being wired for comparison. You've got this platform and whatnot that puts you in places that you otherwise aren't. And then you add to that, which is really the special spice of all of this. And that is, and you've alluded to it already is, the curated, the curated content that people are seeing. And the challenge with this, and we're going to dive into this relative to clients, the challenge of this, it is okay on, <clears throat> pardon me, on a social media element. It's okay if you have, if you're, the people you're connected to are the hundred people that you already know. OK, you know, those people on some way, in some way, shape or form. Maybe you went to high school with them or college with them, or you're, you your know, uncle. they don't have a
1: happy marriage. Well, you that's
0: know. it. That's so you yeah. just you, you killed my. Oh, got it. But that's exactly right. So so if I see, you know, that, you know, Uncle Bert has this life where it looks like every morning he's on a beach. You can if you know Uncle Bert, you know, you're like, hey, look, I see what he's posting. I know his life. I know who's coming in and out of his life. I know the real deal. But when we don't know those people, now that comparison that you're talking about, it's not even fair because you're comparing against something that doesn't even exist.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of the psychology of envy, which is sort of a fascinating concept. And I think it relates to this. And um, th- th- basically we are programmed to feel most envious of people who are most like us too. And so if you see, for example, on Facebook, you see somebody that you went to high school with, you know, same gender, perhaps same socioeconomic background, that kind of thing. Um, and and bald, you know. Um, I, I'm much more likely to be envious of something they have if it's something I wish I had or something I desire. And then the the other component of that is then I also look at them as being undeserving and un and unworthy yeah. of it. And it creates this uncomfortable feeling inside of us, which I think is related to FOMO. You know, I'm I'm envying what you're doing this weekend to be blunt. Yeah.
0: That's exactly right. Well, I know, I mean, even, you know, yesterday I posted something on the distraction work that I'm doing on LinkedIn and you were envious that you weren't part of that. You know, I got a text. Why
1: are you putting up videos without mentioning me
0: in it? Seeing other podcasts and whatnot on the side. (laughs) that's terrible. Okay. So, (laughs) so, so diving into this for advisors. So advice, especially, you know, we we, we think about this element of crypto and we have so many advisors that are listening, parenthetically, thank you. Um, And you're getting hit with this element of why aren't I getting these returns? And that doesn't even have to be crypto, right? Why aren't I getting this? Why aren't I getting that? And you as an advisor are spending all this time developing a plan, developing a a portfolio here that is consistent with with the risk profile of the client, or at least those stated risk tolerance of the client. And then suddenly the client comes in and says, oh, well, hey, look, I just saw on Twitter, that this bum is getting 15% and I'm getting six, change everything. So
1: as an advisor, Brad, I mean, how, how are you handling that? Yeah, it, it is a challenge. And, and I would back up and sort of set the frame for us to, you know, as a profession, just sort of think through what, what are these meetings we wanna be having with clients? What is the quarterly meeting or the annual or the semi-annual, whatever it is, your, your cadence with your clients? What What are you designing those to do? Is it is it meant to be? We're going to focus on your portfolio performance. Um, are is that the entire focus? Because if if that's the case, and and you, and you've been doing that for years, you already know how that thing goes, right? So, um, when and when things are going really well, clients, many many um more perhaps unsophisticated clients around investing would will be like, hey, I got a fifteen percent return, but my buddy got twenty. Um, and so they they might ask you to change their asset allocation to try to chase that. And then on the downside, it's like, you know, why did I lose this when my buddy didn't lose as much there? Um, and so it's all that social comparison. And so part of it is, you know, we, we can tend to set ourselves up by focusing on returns, um, which, by the way, are very important. Okay, I'm, I'm not trying to diminish that. Um, but I be, I feel like those meetings, um, there's so much more value we can provide for clients other than like you know here, here's your portfolio performance, um, so that's the first thing I would think about is, is how we're structuring it, uh, and and then of course you know we um it, it's it's you you mentioned it too and, and crypto is one of those things just as a case example and I think part of it's just educating people on this, um, our our natural tendency to buy when it's high and sell when it's low. And predicting that for people because we all have that natural tendency, that herd instinct. Um, it's sort of baked into our psychology and it makes us vulnerable for that. So here's so here's my here's my rant piece. And you
0: know, as we're developing all this stuff last year, Brad heard this from me multiple times. And that is, you know, I I like most of the things that advisors say. I've been around advisors for what, 15 years now. And most of the things advisors say, I really like. I don't care what business model it is. Or business model neutral. Um, But the one thing that bugs me that advisors say is they say, well, people need to know to buy low and sell high. And I think that is the most ridiculous thing. Now, here comes my, he's nodding his head because I'm going into my financial literacy thing. Here we go people know that so i go out here in the midtown manhattan and i survey a hundred people and ask them that question and i probably have even talked about this on the podcast because i rant about it all the time they're going to get it right brad they know this they know they're not going to say oh i think i should buy high and sell low." they're not going to say that it Mm -hmm. is the instincts that we have relative to fomo and herd instinct and all the other stuff that we've talked about which Flies in the face of financial literacy, right? And all my financial literacy friends—they're uh, going to come after me here. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have financial literacy, but what I'm saying is it's not knowing. The role of the advisor is educator, but not when it comes to these things. It is because it's a quarterly meeting, because you have to—you have to work against the—you have to work against those instincts and coach, right? Okay, end of rant. Now you could—you could—you could tell me uh, to stop ranting. Well,
1: well, I, I think a lot of it is like a shared language with clients and predicting a lot of these things ahead of time. And so, you know, at, at the time in which you're um, putting together their portfolio, you're assessing their risk risk tolerance profile, you know, ideally many aspects of risk tolerance, not just what they're saying in terms of their feelings right. today. But when, once you've done that, I think it's a good idea to sort of stress test that a little bit and, and predict that, that this is going to happen, you know, especially mm-hmm. for investors who are new to that experience. It's like, hey, So this is our asset allocation. These are the reasons why we're, um, you know, approaching your portfolio at this level of risk. And, you know, just be prepared because there are going to be times in which people who are taking on more risk, um, for example, are going to be having higher returns. And the natural human instinct is to then want to change that asset allocation and to take on more risk. And every advisor who's been working with clients has had this experience where the market's up and clients who, uh, are, you know, are pretty risk averse, actually. Um, and the market's up and now they are they have major FOMO and they're like, hey, I want to, you know, get more exposure to equities. And it's just the absolute wrong time to do it. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to talk a client off the ledge. And I, I'm a big proponent of trying to set the scenario where they never get on the ledge to begin with, because I, I will just share with you, Charles, it is very difficult um, because sometimes clients have already in their, in their minds have gone to the action phase and you're as an advisor, you're in a position where, you know, they're, they're making a request. They're, they're saying, Hey, I want you to do this with my portfolio. And, um, ethically, I feel like it's, it's our job to try to share with them the risks of doing that, but ultimately it's their money. And so we need to execute on their, their request and their demand. So it's almost too late at that time. So I, I love to bring this into conversations, um, for example, when the market's going really high um, and to talk about how, how you know, th- this is great. It's a great feeling, you know, and it's a temporary feeling because the market will be going down. And, and to just remind clients around why you picked that asset allocation with them, why you chose it, why it matters, um, and how it's going to be beneficial to their financial goals. Because really, that's what it comes down to. I mean, as a financial planner, our job is to help clients you know achieve their goals? It's not to get the highest possible return because we'll be taking on a lot of risks to do that, which may be totally inappropriate for the client and of course, not work for them in a downward market.
0: So these podcast people, you know they tell us that we have to put our ad like in the middle. and so that we mm-hmm. say our ad here, and then we before we say the ad, we do some teaser. So that you stay with us after the ad. So the teaser is that Brad and I are going to talk about FOMO after we talk about this ad, and the FOMO that we're going to talk about is going to be really good. So you don't want to miss out. I mean, you should be ter- It should be terrified of missing out on the last
1: part of. We've the been week. holding back the good stuff. Is <laughs> what been you're holding to back. Say. That's right. right. That's right.
0: right. We just gave you all the garbage. They, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's why. It, no, but it, it was, it, people are listening to the first five minutes. Um, wanted to mention the uh, psychology of financial planning specialist badge. You know, it's in nine different countries now. And when I say in, meaning people are earning them from a variety of different firms and business models. Um, They're walking through all the different steps We're the only designation that has all five of the areas that an advisor encounters relative to the psychology of financial planning that impact the uh, client-planner relationship and wallet share and, and a sticky relationship and whatnot. Nine different countries. We couldn't be happier about that. And so for this... Uh, we have a special uh, code. You go to psychologyoffinancialplanning.com. If I get this wrong, you can just tell me, Brad. We don't edit these things. We just start recording. And this this is kind of how our conversations go. But so you go to psychologyoffinancialplanning.com and you go to this, you check out under the specialist badge and then you type in the word podcast, which I think is, is it an all cap? It doesn't matter if it's cap set. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So you could put, you could you could do whatever you want. Put in podcast and you'll get a discount. On the specialist badge. It's asynchronous. Uh, so on demand is probably better. I say asynchronous sometimes when I'm talking to firms and they look at me like I'm crazy. Like, what what, what does that mean? You know, and I'm not even wearing a turtleneck. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I not just not just try to not act like an academic. So it's on demand and everybody gets it. So you can binge watch us. So anyway, so it's on demand, you can finish it whenever you want and uh and whatnot. So go to psychologyfinancial Uh, go to the the specialist badge and learn all about uh everything associated with the psychology of financial planning it's a thorough program you get nine ce credits if you're a cfp professional and uh you get the discount if you type in podcast um it's exciting it's exciting to be all around the world and we got some really cool partnerships coming uh soon both in the united states but also internationally as well as some um uh, as well as some really cool workshops and something. I did the whole ad. I thought you were supposed to say something. Can you say something nice about what we're doing?
1: Yeah, I'm char. <laughs> uh, Charles is a very reliable source, um, <laughs> so of information. You know, you know, not. Hey, Brad. You know, nodding your head in a podcast
0: doesn't really help me. Yeah. I mean, okay. Oh. You just nodding well, people. You don't know. feel the energy. I'm trying to hype you up a little. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And by the way, everyone listening out here, if you if you know about FOMO, could you just raise your hands? <laughs> Okay. So, so back to, so back to FOMO. So I think the best analogy when it comes to FOMO investing is related to baseball. So if you watch, which that means I probably, I could have alienated part of our audience. So if you don't watch baseball, I'm going to fill you in. So if you watch like a highlight of a baseball game, or you, if you go to a whole baseball game, it's like three hours. And it's not a fast moving sport, which is one of the problems that they're, they're encountering right now. But if you watch the highlight of a, of a baseball game, They're going to show like three or four plays Mm -hmm. and almost all of them are one thing and it's somebody taking that ball and hitting it over the fence right that they showed the home run right and so what happens is you have this perception that that's happening all the time when in reality the home people yeah yeah players are swinging for the for the fences but they're also striking out more and you Mm -hmm. don't see the strikeouts and that's what you have here when it comes to FOMO and investing, especially when it's really these people that have, have these ridiculous returns or they're involved in crypto and they're talking about the wins. They're not talking about the losses. Same thing at the casino. We talked about the casino a few episodes ago. They post pictures of everyday people up there saying, I want $100,000. I want to see them post pictures of everyday people saying, I lost my house right here. <laughs> right. And that's, I'm not laughing about people seeing their house,
1: but they don't post that. And that's the same thing here, right? Absolutely. And you know, you mentioned crypto early in the show. And uh, you know, the research on cryptocurrency traders is they score higher in FOMO than the average investor. And you know, crypto is is a great example of sort of the modern day tulip mania. Um, also, uh, those uh what were those things? Those NFTs. Oh, those things NFTs. went nuts too, right? Yeah, and, yep. and it's it's really normal to feel FOMO and as as an advisor, like we feel it too. And I think one of the most dangerous things that um, you you can do as an advisor is to not acknowledge (laughs) that we share the same psychology with our clients and we're just as vulnerable to the biases. And hopefully we're much more conscious of them and just understanding that you are going to have that FOMO and the entire financial service industry had FOMO around crypto. Yep. And this has happened a couple of times where there's new ETFs coming out because frankly, your clients are coming to you and saying, hey, I'd like to get into some of this Bitcoin or some of this cryptocurrency. And as an advisor, we of course want to help get our clients in any asset class they want to get into. So then the, the the whole industry starts to move into that. Um, and then quickly retreats, I've noticed. That's happened a couple of times, times. Um, when, when the crypto goes down. But, but crypto... Um, just as an example, those individuals tend to have more of that, that FOMO. And to your point, they will share with you of the stories that you hear about somebody who went from rags to riches. And there are, there are many of these stories around, yeah. but what you're not hearing are the 99.9% of people who have lost their life savings or lost everything they invested. And so it, it's, it's an important thing to recognize in ourselves. And then, of course, talk about that, um, that whole psychology with our clients. I think that's right. I, I think, and, and it seems to be, it seems to me that, you know, talking to a lot of different
0: firms that they, they realize they need to talk about it and they're, and they're working with us to figure out what to say. And I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, on, on the front end, it's so different than, than we talk about goals, right? So with goals, we say here, you have a much higher likelihood of your client achieving goals if you identify the obstacles on the front end. Think about, you know, you listening to this right now as an advisor. And a lot of you, I know, listen to to these things while you're working out. So let's say you start a workout regimen and you have a trainer and they start this and you really, you really want to do it. Like you really want to lose weight or gain muscle or whatever reason you're doing it. And that trainer says to you, I'm going to tell you about four weeks into this, you're going to hit Mm -hmm. a wall and here's what's going to happen. You're going to get this and this and this, and it's going to be tough for you, but it's going to happen. When you hit that wall, you first say, okay, I'm doing everything right. This is natural. And the higher, there's much more of a likelihood of a higher level of resolve for you to power through it. And I think about that the same, obviously with the goal piece, but I think about it even with FOMO. And you you've already alluded to this too, is like as an advisor saying, Look, temptation's gonna be around the corner and and you know we talk a lot with advisors we're talking to a broker dealer about a month ago a very large firm and they were talking about you know being an advisor in the information age when their clients are looking up all these things and seeing all these you know social media or sites that are talking about wealth that has nothing to do with them and they've got to and they have to deal with that but and saying on the front end you're going to see this and this on social media and i'm just going to tell you We develop something together that that fits your risk tolerance. It fits your goals. You're going to be tempted by that apple down the road. That apple is not
1: necessarily real, right? And so getting it
0: out on the front end, I think it helped a ton.
1: Yeah, I love it. I love the, uh, you know, one concept in psychology is normalizing and not pathologizing, which is basically like, hey, look, we're all vulnerable to this you know, like you know, the big shocker on the psychology side, side would be if you went through your entire life without getting depressed or anxious. I mean, that would be the shocking moment, not the fact that you're going through these experiences. And I do believe that shared language can be so important. And so to your point, Charles, around literacy, like having having literacy around the psychology of money and talking to clients about biases, talking to them about FOMO, talking to them about the classic mistakes most in, adv- most investors make. That we're very vulnerable for. I think that shared language up front, it can help predict it. It help, It's sort of a stress inoculation, inoculation process too, where you're predicting that they're going to be having these feelings in the future. And what will happen is they start to have those feelings. And then hopefully they'll become much more conscious of what's happening on an emotional level. They'll, they'll kick that prefrontal cortex online and be like, oh yeah, this was that FOMO we had talked about. These were these cognitive biases we talked about. These are, oh, these are the money scripts we identified. Yes, I am vulnerable to that because of my family history. And I think having all that knowledge and understanding before these events happen decreases the chances that you're going to self-destruct and do something you regret. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's one more piece, I think, I
0: think our time is just about up here, but one more piece of this, uh, that I, I should have mentioned in the beginning there, there's also a piece of instant gratification that fits into this too, right? you know you know I said this idea of slow wealth that people talk about, which I think is powerful, you know and fast wealth is sexy. it's a it's sexy that that's you know well yeah, it's, it, it is, but it just doesn't happen and and so this idea of of slow wealth being important and I, I'm not suggesting you tell your clients to post on social media that hey, you know, I, I saw it, you know, Two and a half percent gay. We're we're on track for you, know. but the point of that is that, um, the, as the saying goes, in education, fast is slow and slow is fast, and there's there's a lot to that. Um, Brad and I don't script anything, so this is where I very delicately say, Brad, is there anything else you'd like to mention about FOMO? Because that's all I wanted to talk about.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I don't know that I have a whole lot. I could do a reading from the book. I tried to do that last time, and you didn't let me.
0: Well, no, you know, we're not reading so, from the book because people. Okay. Right. people don't if they want us to read from the book we will come is that a separate podcast, that it podcast. Zero followers that's exactly zero right. subscribers I tried to get tried to get James Earl Jones to read the book but that didn't work out so it's it's, it's, a, it's a it's a darn shame uh I should mention that the audio engineer for the psychology of financial planning podcast is the wonderful Tim Dolbear out of Nashville Tennessee thank you Tim Thank you, Tim. And you can um, you can get the Psychology of Financial Play podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we do hope, that especially if you get it on Apple Podcasts, that you leave us a review. We our number of downloads is is extraordinary. It's
1: been And really, Tim, thank really- you for editing out all the dumb stuff that Charles has said throughout the episodes. It, it helps. So you know, it's just ridiculous. It's creating a hostile work environment. That's just, it's just not true. <laughs>
0: Um, <laughs> uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, we're getting lots of different downloads. and But we'd love to get lots of lots more reviews. So uh, if you could review that, would we, uh, it would be wonderful. We're looking forward to seeing some of you on the conference. Brad's got a busy conference circuit. I have a busy conference circuit. We're doing some workshops. Check us out at psychologyofinancialplaying.com if you'd like us to come visit the uh, visit your firm and do a workshop. We're thinking about doing the podcast on the road, taking it somewhere. Uh, maybe somewhere warm before uh before summer hits. It would be great to 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 do it somewhere.
1: Don't you think Brad? Wouldn't it be nice to- I do, I do. And if and if we if you do run across us, let's let's do a selfie. Let's put it on Instagram and let's create some FOMO. Let's create some FOMO. Look at the great time. Yeah.
0: Brad and I like arguing about whatever we argue about all the time. But then but we'll smiling together for the picture for Instagram. Like no.
1: That's right. <laughs> Look at that.
0: all right everybody thanks for thanks for listening and we look forward to seeing you soon take care